Welcome to episode 18 of the Tech Bubble, the last in our current season. I'm your host, Ian Williamson, and let me begin by apologizing for the long delay between episodes 17 and 18. And why was that, I ask you say? Why indeed. This is Amanith Reiki, co-host of the Tech Bubble. I guess to answer your question, Mr. Williamson, we would need to talk through some of the developments from term one of the Digital Leadership Council. Well, I can do better than that. Because before we introduce our guest today, Amanat, we bring you this message from our esteemed DLC leader, Vivian Chung. Hi, everyone. I'm Vivian speaking with an exciting update on eSports for Turn 2 and 3 of this academic year. We have been given permission to pilot our very first eSports inter-house competition involving all year groups. Each tutor group will select one representative, so two from each house, to play on a Friday after school during normal inter-house time. The game we have selected is Tetris, so we look forward to seeing a comb or two from you in the near future. That is so exciting, and I know how long the DLC has fought to include this in our offering. Congratulations to all of those who were involved in making this happen. Mr. Williamson, why do you think it has been such a challenge to get esports off the ground again at South Island? After all, our esports tournament was several years ago, but we've struggled to do this again in the last few years. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair question, Amana. Um, I would say that the answer is probably twofold. Okay, so first, as a council, we, we kind of learned the hard way, in all honesty. Um, when it came to organizing events like this, we, let's be honest about it, we experienced a lot of problems. Um, and I have to give some kudos here to Sam Bonacamp. Um, he was our previous head of the DLC, and he was the absolute pioneer in this area. Uh, and the first one to put on an, uh, an e-sports tournament. So, okay, I suppose this is a good opportunity to promote what I would consider to be the logistic process which goes behind an e-sports tournament. So the starting place is to make sure that the games that are selected are age-appropriate. That is so important. Uh, and also that the games are inclusive for everyone to play. Um, so, you know, if it's being played on a Nintendo Switch, that's not inclusive and some students are not going to have access to a Nintendo Switch, so that's automatically ruling out many of the potential players. Um, we use the PEGI rating system in the DLC, and that's a way to figure out the certification of a game. So they have like, you know, uh, age categories at 3, 7, 12, 16, or an 18, and that's, that's not a difficulty rating. Yeah, that's the minimum age that players should be uh, allowed to play those games. So we also, of course, we don't want students to be going home to parents and requesting a specific game, you know, for the purposes of Interhouse, where they're saying, you've got to buy me such and such, you've got to buy me Minecraft because, yeah. So that, that's what we're kind of trying to avoid. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. And I think actually the website Common Sense Media also has a similar rating system, but they also have rating developed by the players and their parents. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, and I guess that's kind of like our second checkpoint really, Amana. So considering the suitability of the game, so Vivian and the DLC team um, who have been responsible, there's about seven or eight students involved, and they've been planning the forthcoming Interhouse Esports competitions. And they, they took ages to figure out a game that they thought was gonna be inclusive for all. So in the end, they opted for Tetris. Um, so we're gonna find out quite soon just how popular that is. I can tell you that Mr. Corns was beside himself with excitement. He showed me all these bizarre YouTube videos of people playing Tetris that I'd never seen before. So he's quite, I think he's kind of pushing to be, you know, a representative in the tournament himself, but we'll see. That's very exciting indeed. So Mr. Williamson, when students want to set up an eSports tournament, what advice would you give them? All right, so the most important step in the process is to approach the Digital Leadership Council first. Um, now that's not because we've got a big ego and we have to be the ones, you know, that flex by putting on a deal, you know, some kind of eSports. It's because we want to provide support and, and also make certain that you're not going to get into logistic problems or even worse, you know, sometimes students will suggest, you know, a, a game for a tournament that then becomes very inappropriate um, and it's not at the age whether, you know, maybe advertising it, let's say to year sevens when actually year sevens shouldn't be playing the game. So we've got to get our stakeholders right here. Um, and I also mentioned that there was a second reason before, and, and that's because we didn't promote esports in the middle of COVID because there was a concern that students were spending all their day in front of a laptop screen 
um, and therefore there'd be kind of little appetite to extend that beyond the working day. So um, it kind of changed about a year and a half ago, two years ago, uh, when the ESF had an esports tournament. Uh, that was Brawlhalla, which is Peggy rated seven. Um, and there was a you know a bit of a buzz about that across some of the ESF schools. We had representatives from South Island School there. Um, and then earlier, well, not even in this year now, but in this academic year, so this was uh, back in, what would it have been? First of all, in the summer term of last year, and then the beginning of this year, we've had two different sets of year 12 students that wanted to try very, very small pilots um, with eSports as well. So we feel it's the right time to try and you know relaunch this now. And that's the perfect segue for introducing our guests. Our first guest is very familiar to our students, especially those lucky enough to be taught by him. Students know him as our current head of design or the HKAYP coordinator, but you may not know that he is an avid gamer, including tabletop RPG games such as 5e Dra Dungeons and Dragons. That's pretty cool. I am of course describing the one and only Mr. Oliver. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me here. It's, it's wonderful to be around such a wonderful a group of wonderful students who are interested in gaming. Myself, I am really interested in uh, digital games. Uh, my favorite ones at the moment I'm playing is uh, Elden Ring and uh, uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. I love RPG games. Also, I'm a big fan of tabletop games, getting away from the computer screen sometimes. So I play a lot of D&D and I'm playing at the moment the miniatures game Warhammer 40,000, which some of you may know because we have a club at school. Nice little plug there from Mr. Oliver. Did you see that? Um, I'm also an avid D&D player. Um, played second edition for many years, played third edition, fourth edition, more recently moving into fifth edition as well. So it's great to have uh, Mr. Oliver on the show. Alongside, we have a very special guest joining us today from the ESF Center. Uh, I've known Jay Prohaska for several years now. This year, we work together and help coordinate the ESF Computer Conference. Jay is an EdTech coach and is joining us today to discuss plans for a forthcoming ESF-wide esports tournament, which is going to happen later in the school year. So watch this space. Welcome to the show, Jay. Guys, thank you so much for having me. I have to say it's truly an honor to be here because I do love to talk about games, uh, a, a personal passion of mine. You know, and, and as myself, as a pretty big gamer, uh, I would have to say that gaming is where my love for technology sort of has its roots, where it began. Uh, you guys probably won't know, but maybe some of the older people here, the, the digital games we used to play, uh, I used to play, I grew up playing were Warcraft, Starcraft, uh, Command and Conquer, Red Alert. You guys know all those? Oh, they were classic games of the 90s. <laughs> yes, exactly, right? So, it, it, and, I, I, and I have to say, probably some of my best childhood memories are, are the sort of the collaborative aspect of playing those with my friends and playing online against people. And uh, to me, that was a, a great motivator and a great uh, inspiration for me growing up. And if you ask my parents, they probably said that, you know, I, I was playing, spending too much time playing my games, but I just had too much fun when I was when I was playing them. And some of my best memories are almost playing eSport tournaments with my friends, my cousins, my family members before there was even such a thing as, as eSport tournaments. So I'm super excited to be here and talk on this podcast because uh, we're talking shop. And these are the kind of things that I love. What was your first computer, you two? Just before we go on to the next guest, what were your first computers? I'm gonna start that off by saying, I had a ZX Spectrum 16K, which was rubbish. And the buttons were rubber and they used to get stuck when you were playing computer <laughs> games, which was very, very frustrating. So I shipped that in. Whilst everybody else was upgrading to a 48K, I went for a much more fancy Atari 800XL console, which was super cool in the day. Bruce Lee was my favorite game, but it used to glitch quite a lot when the floppy disk got stuck in the, in the drive. So you, you kids, you do not know that you're born. The games that you get access to, the unbelievable graphics. I mean, I, I remember being so excited with my ZX Spectrum. What, what about you two? I think uh, my first computer was a Commodore 64. Yes, yeah, it with me, yeah. same with me. Yes. And then I shortly upgraded to something called an Atari ST, which, uh, which was, was it was it was a dream machine back in the day, uh, but likewise uh, having problems with floppy disks and invariably the games never ever worked as advertised, and you'd have to go into the back end of the code to actually recode the game a lot of times to make it work because developers at the time 
we're still learning game development as well. So yeah, so good for fun. our younger <laughs> listeners, you won't appreciate this, but it used to be when we wanted to connect online and go on the internet, we had I had to pick up the phone uh, <laughs> that you, was hanging on our wall. So our phones were all hanging on our wall, and I had to put it into a, a special modem, and then have the computer dial into that to send a, a, a almost like a fax. And that was how you connected to the internet. It was so painfully slow. And it would be really annoying when you're just connected to your friends playing something like Come on and Conquer over the internet, and then your mum picks up the phone. <laughs> yeah, and interrupts <laughs> it. And interrupts it. Hello? Whole, Hello? <laughs> whole thing goes dead. <laughs> just built up your base. That was our internet. Yeah. And on that bombshell. And alongside Mr. Prohaska, we also have Shreen Skadness from 11M2 and Andrew Lua from 11B1. They are both computer science students who also run one of our DLC-led coding clubs each week in C43. It was Shreens who approached the DLC and then ESF about having an ESF-wide esports tournament. So who better to give us more details about the event? Welcome Shreens and Andrew. Thank you, Mr. Williamson and Amanat for having us. So. Personally, I love video games. I love whenever I get the chance, uh, you can find me gaming. And uh, one of my favorite games is Super Smash Bros. Because the combat mechanics are basically amazing. Well, not non-violent, but amazing. And honestly, I just like the way I just like how I can't beat the hardest CPUs no matter how I try. Andrew, what about you? Video gaming ever since when I was young has been a huge childhood interest and it has constituted some of my best childhood memories. Personally, my favorite game is Minecraft due to the limitless possibilities, player-made minigames and worldwide fan base. It's an honor to be on this podcast to share our vision. Welcome to the show, both of you. Um, in a first for the tech bubble, our next two guests come from Bohemia, more specifically from year eight, and they are members or have been members of the Bohemia DLC at some point during year seven and year eight. So, big welcome to Cameron Lee and Nathaniel Lamb, both from 8N1. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Mr. Williamson. So, one of my favorite games is Roblox because there are just so many different types of games that content creators make and it's fun to play with your friends. Yeah, same here. So like, there are many different games to choose from and many different genres. So if you like horror game, you can play Doors or or if you like obbies and challenging games, you can play Mega Easy Obby and it's actually hard. So do you think boys, I said earlier on that we are going to start our esports off with Tetris. One of the things that was suggested quite a few times was Roblox and the, the, the little committee that's put this together they did debate Roblox, and there are so many different types of Roblox games, yeah? So do you think do you think we should be looking to use Roblox as a potential eSports focus, maybe in year seven and eight going forward? Or is it too difficult to find a game that everyone kind of knows? What, what do you think there? Uh, my opinion on that is Roblox, some, some people might not have downloaded it, mm -hmm. uh, but Tetris is an extension but I don't see a lot. I see a lot of people playing Tetris, but then it's it's not a lot. It's not a lot of people in like lower years, like year seven or like rarely anybody in year eight plays it now. Okay. You know, can I add to that? It's funny that you guys uh, Tetris seems to be making a comeback because my own children play it right now. My, I have a daughter who's thirteen and a son who's fifteen, and I played Tetris when I was growing up. And I used to, I used to play it so much, and we 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 play it side by side against somebody else. But I would have dreams about it, and I would dream the Tetris blocks falling, and then like turn left, turn left, go right, 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 right. No, no, no. <laughs> it was, that's how bad it got for me when I played Tetris. This is an audio show, but I just want you to to just kind of you know, stay there for a second, and imagine me going around my room in D eighty two to get an object. Okay, you have to wait for a second. It's a follow-up, you can probably hear me. So what I used to dream about was this game, okay? Now, I haven't got any batteries in it at the moment, but this is a Grandstand Munchman, okay? So it's like a mini version of Pac-Man. And I managed to, 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 to find the kind of route that you did through this game so that I could do it infinitely. 
So my, my PB involved having to sort of literally play it until the batteries went dead. Um, and I can't remember how long I played this game for, but it was most of a day at some point. So if my eyesight's starting to go, it's probably, I blame Grandstand Munchman. <laughs> Does it still have battery? It, not at the moment, oh. but... Um, I might see if I can get, I don't know, the design department to have a look at it for me and see if they can get it running again. Maybe maybe that's the kind of people I should be approaching. I, never <laughs> I, think, I think you should definitely have a look at this. Exactly, yeah. It needs to be uh, clean by the look of it, if nothing else. I see it's, it's on the, you've put it onto the pro setting as well. Of rather course, than the amateur of setting. course, that's yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't, wouldn't bother with any kind of, you know, nonsense level. Mr. Oliver, I'd like to bring you into the conversation as well. Gaming can often receive bad press in schools. Students off task in class or teachers and parents who disapprove of gaming and prefer for their students to read books um, often say that they um, often say that gaming can have a lot of negative effects as well. So do you think that this criticism is warranted? That's, that's a really good question. Um, so like a lot of things, I think that gaming um, is, should be done in moderation, right? Um, it, it's a fun recreational activity. It's a great way to socialize, meet with other people, you know, test your skill level. Um, it's, it can be very creative as well. But when it comes to gaming in class uh, or in places where you shouldn't be gaming, it's not appropriate to game, then I think it's good habit to just put it away and then focus on, on learning in class. Um, however, having said that, I actually think that gaming has received a lot of like, unwarranted negative press. Um, personally, like as you all went out know, no, I'm a massive advocate of tabletop games um, and board games in particular. They provide students with a, a, the chance to socially engage with each other in a kind of a shared creative uh, endeavor. Um, there's uh, also like digital games. I mean, things like um, Minecraft, we have again shared creation of uh, uh, you know, digital uh, things and objects. Um, it's really great to see the, the creative stuff that some, some students do within games like Minecraft. Um, then again, looking at digital games, especially things like uh, role-playing games, RPG games, some of those have got uh, incredibly engaging stories that um, you have, they're not all voice acted, so you have to sit there and read through reams and reams of text to see what's going on. And I think that some of the, some of the, the games that I've played, things like Dragon Age Origins, um, they've got more lines of text than, say, Lord of the Rings. So it, it's a huge amount of reading that students have to go through um, if they are engaged in those games. So um, for me, I think that, again, in moderation and in, the, in an appropriate space, there's nothing wrong with gaming either tabletop or or digital i think it's a, it's a great way to meet people um and i've got many many friends i've had for many years that through the gaming hobby so it's a great way to meet people too yeah i mean i, I would you know say that taking that a little bit further games like D D for me that you know i, I was talking before the, the show started um to to jay about the fact that you know, I've run a campaign with my with my own son, and also with the children of a good friend of mine who lives in Singapore. Um, since they were they were very young children, and this is a campaign that's been going on for about ten years. We based the campaign in twelfth century Europe, and it's made me read like I mean, twenty books probably on you know the twelfth century period. Um, so I understand a lot about the Plantagenet reign. I know about a lot of the secret societies that existed in Europe at that time. Um, and then you go and explore so many different mythological, um, you know, kind of backgrounds in order to incorporate all the traditional sort of, you know, mythical races like elves and dwarves and all, you know, all of those into your campaign world. So it pushes you, I think, as a GM to go and explore and, and learn and read way more than you would have done otherwise. Um, and, I, and I take your point, it, it doesn't always have to be that, you know, there is a place for this. And, and I guess that this brings you, you two in. Okay, so Cameron and Nathaniel, I'm, I'm kind of interested here. I'm sort of curious to know where you stand on this. So, you know, both of you are keen gamers, but, you know, you see in year seven and eight, you know, what people do with the games, yeah? Um, you know, I've said many times before on this podcast that we have to distinguish between habits which can become kind of toxic for us, and addiction. And I think what we see mainly in school is habits, bad habits, when we're talking on the negative side of this. So I'm not sure, 
that we have many students addicted to gaming, but we do have a few who have fallen into bad habits. So how much or little of a problem do you feel this is for us in school? Um, you know, do the two of you, for instance, find it difficult to break away from a game? Um, but what, what, how would you, you respond to that question? Well, sometimes video games can be a bit addicting, so setting time limits would be a good option to help stop. I have time limits on my computer, so I break away from the game, but then then it's, it's always eager to go unlock the code and then set back the time limit. I don't That's, even have time limit. That is very disciplined, by the way, you two. I mean, when I was playing Bruce Lee when I was a kid, there was no way, I think, that I would have had time limits on it. What, what sort of time limits would you set them? Mm. Well, I usually set long time limits, but then I set a timer, and when 30 minutes is up, I just take an eye break, do something maybe non-digital. Mm -hmm. The rule of 20s, right? Uh, for 20 seconds, look 20 meters away. Um, for you know, the, the this is a, gr a great strategy. I, I do the, I do the same thing for my own self. I, I feel myself rubbing my eyes like, oh, far out! I need a break. I used to. We had a rule at home. So when my son was growing up, he had a, a PlayStation. Um, still does. And the ruling that we used to have when he was growing up on a Saturday and a Sunday, he was allowed to go on the PlayStation for an hour at a time. And we thought, and, and he agrees if he was here, he would, he would reinforce what I'm about to say. Once he'd gone beyond that hour, sometimes we'd give him longer, almost like a kind of pat on the back when he'd done really well in school. But inevitably, if he'd gone beyond that hour, it was really hard to then get him off the PlayStation. Yeah. Whereas if once an hour was up, he'd come off happily. It's that habit, that, that mm -hmm. habit form. Yeah. And you know what? I have to say in my own life, I, I, I really connect with, the, connect with the fact that you guys put time limits for yourselves. My own social media... Um, I wanted good habits and I found that I was spending too much time on it so I limited myself to 45 minutes a day and I, I started to ask myself if I need more than 45 minutes why do I need that so I put a time limit on there to stop me at the 45 minute mark because what's great about technology is that we can use it to assist us in forming good habits yeah absolutely and I guess that's something that we probably need to be promoting more even as a, as a DLC going forward Shreyans, with your interest in setting up the e ESF eSports tournament, I think it would be very interesting to, s to hear some of your thoughts as well. I'm very curious to know two things. Firstly, what sparked your interest in eSports? And secondly, as Mr. Oliver has mentioned, there's a lot of disapproval from parents about students playing games. I'd be keen to find out what are the greatest myths or misconceptions about gaming that you would like to see dispelled. So starting with my interest in esports, well, video games are fun. Let's start with that. I think we can start with that as a point to agree with. And uh, when you have uh, and when you meet people through video games, it gets even better. So what if we took this across ESF and help people make friends over common interests, and uh, maybe let every and maybe let everyone have some fun, I guess. And in terms of the myths I'd like to see dispelled, Andrew, would you like to Yeah, for a lot of the that? myths, uh, a lot of people, parents certainly included, like to believe that uh, video, uh, violent video games make people violent, and this is one of the more prominent misconceptions about video games. They cite reasons like violence, or that people become very antisocial when playing video games, but however, many video games actually have mild to no violence, and many people make friends in video games, in fact, over built-in open mic communication. Some of the world's most popular games have multiplayer communities of millions of players across the globe, and require important skills like uh, collaboration and communication, teamwork. As for violence, multiple, multiple peer-reviewed studies over years of research prove that playing violent video games has actually little to no bearing on someone being violent in real life. I have to say, in terms of violence as well, I mean, we, we were talking about Dungeons and Dragons mm -hmm. earlier on, I mean, you know, the whole game is built around combat. You know, it, it's almost like that's a boring true. gaming session if there's not a combat at some point, you know? That's, that's the most exciting part, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's what you're rolling the dice for. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Andrew. So uh, th there's something here that, that we call the hyper-real in, in media education. And that's the difference between when, when you know that something is reality itself, the real world, and then the hyper-real that you get through, you know, media consumption. And I think there's, there's a point to be made here that students are sophisticated enough at a very early age to see the difference between real life violence and then 
imaginary violence. I'm not even suggesting actually that the violence in those games is cathartic because I think that's been dispelled gradually by researchers over time. Sure. Um, but I think that it's just fun. And you know, you can divorce the fact that, you know, somebody's had their, their head chopped off with a, a samurai sword in the game from the reality of that happening. Yeah. So long as you have like a general awareness and understanding that this is just a video game, this is just a fantasy world, uh, this is just a, some other, other person's imagination crafted into a video game, and then, it yeah. in no way represents reality. I feel like the violence in video games is actually giving people an outlet so that we can actually prevent violence in real life rather than... I would also say that it's no worse than the violence inside films or books. Yeah. Uh, you know, this graphic description of some of the books that don't have ratings on them, like video games have a lot of epi uh, ratings to stop you from accessing those violent uh, games you need be, which maybe some books don't. So. And, and with those ratings, you can, you know, you don't have to pick those games up. You know, I think that's one of the great things about computer games that, you know, with those kind of Peggy rating systems, if that's the sort of thing that you don't really like, then don't play the game. Just in the same way as you don't watch the film. If it's a genre like horror or, you know, if it's a, an 18 certificate film that's going to contain, you know, a lot of violence, then, you know, you know to stay away from that. So I think that's a, that's a benefit to games. Yes, definitely. And Mr. Prokaska, we've seen big changes in education in the recent years through the use of technology especially. One of these changes has been the recent gamification of education. I was curious to know in your role how much of this you've seen in your work in ESF kindergartens, primary and secondary schools. Yeah, and this is a, this is a great, great question because how what's great about gaming, particularly with digital games, is it speaks to so many people. And so many people connect with it. And how do you leverage that desire to get to the next hardest level and put that into education, into an education context? And we, the, the idea of gaming is it's, it's not new. Uh, you know, I'm going to age myself here. But, you know, more than two decades ago, I, was, I had games in my classroom. I was playing Dungeons & Dragons with my children for a variety of reasons. I was something like Monopoly, a game that we all know. It teaches the concepts of, you know, of money, of purchasing and, and rolling the dice and, and combining like numbers, addition, simple things like that. So it's been around for a long time. But how do you capitalize on it by uh, perhaps digging a, a little bit deeper? What I think about right now is well, we actually see gaming all whether or not we realize that we see gaming all throughout education. You know, some of the things that I think about when we were younger, um, the younger audience might not know this one. Uh, Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Mm. Do you remember that game? You know, that, that oh, that's a great game for teaching us about geography. Uh, a little more, uh, not too distant, uh, a game called Mathletics, where we, the gamification of math. Um, Khan Academy, to some degree, is the gamification of mathematics. Uh, Kahoot! That's huge, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody knows Kahoot. That's the gamification of education. Uh, Lego robots, Lego competitions. And I have to say, even my son Jacob, he was showing me on the weekend his, uh, his Apple Watch because him and his buddy are competing for rings, fitness rings. But that's the gamification of fitness, right? And so my, my son and my daughter, their dinner table conversation last night was about the beep test. And about how who can have the shortest time in, in the competitions that they're having inside the class. That's the gamification of education and fitness. Um, Duolingo. This is how we, you know, a very common way to inspire people to learn another language. This is the gamification of education. And when I think about uh, Minecraft <laughs> the education version, there are just so many tremendous things that um, that are can be leveraged in the education setting. So we're seeing it more and more. Um, but again, the, the, the real trick is how do we to leverage the power of gaming and put that into an education context? If I can just interject momentarily, I'd be interested in finding out what the impacts of such gamification have been, especially in schools. Do you think it's had a positive effect? And if so, should more schools be finding ways to incorporate gaming into their curriculums? Yeah, and you know what, the, the power, again, that word leverage, using the power of digital gaming to uh, help students connect. For myself, the reason I connect with technology is because I was a very disconnected student growing up. And what my connection, with, what technology enabled me to do was connect with other people. And through, you know, the, 
through my connection with games, Dungeons and Dragons and, and the variety of uh, video games I was playing, you know, I was learning mathematics skills, addition, measuring, um, odds, all those fantastic skills with language acquisition. You talked about the mythological, yes. you know, the, the mythology or science fiction games. I was playing one called StarQuest about the future, you know, the, the plasma cube. Well, what is plasma? What, a cube? What's a cube? And all of a sudden I had to count money and I had to understand the, uh, the number system for counting money. So, and the human and humanities, right? You know, geography, understanding maps. That, and I think about probably the biggest thing for me is, is the social connection. Um, when playing games with other people, I had to learn how to get along. I had to learn about a, a hierarchy. I had to learn about governments. Um, I had to learn resilience and I had to learn how to, to lose well and be a good winner. So to, to me, these, all these things bring people together. What a good game does is it brings people together in a shared experience and a shared common experience. And this is one of the things that people I think keep mentioning over and over again is about how they get to play with their friends. It's a shared experience. I heard one person talking at a conference uh, just before Christmas and he's like, all these students walked into the Starbucks and they were hooping and hollering and they were on their devices. And it was, uh, this is a sign of a, a bad way that the society is going. I'm not sure I could agree because to me, they're all on their devices walking together, having a shared experience. While it may be on their own individual screen, they're having a shared connected experience in which they're going to talk about later. So then that's what we have to recognize and appreciate, I think, when it comes to gaming. And you, you know, uh, Mr. Williamson, you talked about the habits versus addiction. And I have parents come to me in my position quite often and say, oh, my child's addicted, my child's addicted. I think that term gets thrown around too easily. Yeah, I agree. And um, if, it, if it, your child's addicted, that's something a doctor has to deal with. I can't, don't come to me and ask me what to do when your child's addicted. I, I'm not qualified to deal with addiction. Um, you know, a, a drug addiction is not any different than a game addiction. There, there are very, a lot of common elements in that. But what I can do is help you understand how to create good habits for you and your family and in, in your classroom. And that's to me what it comes down to, creating good, good, healthy habits. And I see uh, Nathaniel and Cameron, to use your expression, you know, whooping and hollering on a daily basis when they're playing their games in, in my classroom. And we, we, we have a little session before tutor time. So from about, it's only 10 minutes, but you know, I, I let the kids play at that point and then laptop lids go down as soon as we start tutor period. So. I think there's that. And, and can you also teach me how to lose well as well? I like that. I like that. Still not there yet? <laughs> and Mr. Oliver, just to bring you into the conversation as well. As a keen gamer, where do you see games supporting learning, both tabletop and digital, at South Island School? Okay, well, I think for, if we start with like the, the uh, standpoint of tabletop games, uh, you guys were just talking about like Hooper and Hollering and everyone having fun. Um, so I, we experience this all the time. We have the D&D club uh, running on a um, uh, Monday night uh, after school. Uh, and you've got students from year 12 all the way down to students from year 8 together, mixing, talking about things, um, sharing uh, creating a story together um being creative coming up with this the collaboratively like building an imaginary world which mm -hmm. they they're all taking part in and what's really interesting is after the session they're all still talking to each other and they they help each other to get get home like oh are you getting a cab can we share and there's a little bit of kind of vertical vertical tutoring going on because yes. they're some, they get to know each other and some of the year 12 are saying oh no you should do this subject you should do that subject so there are added benefits to the socializing aspect of people coming together, making friends around a shared uh, narrative. Now, um, myself, I'm, I'm a, as you know, I'm a design teacher. And so uh, I became a design teacher. I'm going a little bit off, off topic, going, but I actually became a design teacher because I, when I was about 12 years old, I became really obsessed with a game called Warhammer 40,000, which I still play 30 years later. It's been around that long. It has, 35th yeah. year anniversary. My son plays it right now, oh, too. Really? He's a big gamer. Years. So um, anyway, it, the painting of the models and the, the yes. building of the models and, and then building my own models from scratch got me really interested in design. And that actually triggered me on a path to, be, to becoming a product designer uh, and then my future career in product design and then a design teacher 
because of this game, because I, 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 I loved this game Warhammer, I love painting models, I love building things, I love making things, all the skills that I developed through that, through that war game, uh, I could then bring forward to my real life. Uh, so, and I see this with the students now, some of the students in the Warhammer Club, they're, they're, they're coming in, they're using my machines, they're building their own terrain, I can see the same trajectory they're going down, and then funny enough, some of them turn around and say, can we do design in year 11? Can we do it in year 13? So from an educational point of view, this, this, this side element, especially of like the, the, the miniatures war game is great. Um, what else? Uh, we've got... Can uh, I just ask I, you a question? Yeah, there, sure. Do you use Hero Forge? I was just opening oh. it as you were talking, yeah? Now, Mr. Mr. Murta, I'm going to drop a name here, loves Hero Forge. Um, it's a, Hero Forge is a digital uh, CAD program that, that's free to use that enables you, if you're a big fan of like Dungeons & Dragons, you can very easily create your own uh, miniatures um, and it enables you to design them all, uh, 3D miniatures, which you can then print out on a 3D printer, of which we've got about five in our school. So, and then you can go away and paint them and, and do all that stuff. So CAD is actually coming into uh, gaming as well. Um, I don't know, the Dungeons and Dragons are coming up with uh, the, the latest edition where they're actually planning to go more online. So the, the, there's this kind of merging between tabletop and uh, the digital world uh, in in kind of uh, more social tabletop style gaming. Can I say, um, my son, again, uh, going through school, he was the youngest in his class. Um, he struggled, um, very disconnected because a lot of things were over his head. But I, so I introduced him to Dungeons and Dragons. And exactly what you're talking about right now, one of the things he's done, <laughs> he's gone and developed. He's got, you guys, the, our, our listeners can't see it, but um, he's designed on our 3D printer at home, a system. So he's a, a dungeon master. And so he, he's a great narrator. And he wants to improve his ability to tell stories. And he's gone and developed these magnetic walls oh, that, that stick together. And now he's, you, you talk about design. He's like, oh, how can I paint it to make it look more more authentic and so he's gone and created he is extended his learning mm. and because he's connected with the game and that's what i love about the power of gaming that when done well it will extend your learning beyond the actual class Definitely. sorry i cut you off no there. no no sorry. it's perfect uh, and then in terms of other opportunities like uh if, in terms of education so again the tabletop side of things um you know dungeons and dragons is is generally it's 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 a narrative building thing. It's very similar to improv. So those of you who do study drama, mm -hmm. um, there's an improvisational aspect of the whole thing. So uh, you know it, it's teaching students confidence skills. And some of the some students I've had have come to the Dungeons Dragon sessions very kind of quiet and unsure, and then. A few sessions in, they're shouting loudly at the top of their voice and narrating their character, what their character's doing. Um, it would be impress some drama teachers, I think, if, if they secretly look through the window to see what they're getting up to. So there's some great things. They um, take on their attributes. They do. The yeah, they right? do. It's quite funny. <laughs> and the uh, English side of things, I mean, uh, if you've ever picked up a Dungeons & Dragons rulebook, it, it must be about 300 pages long. Right. Uh, I mean, you can... You can use it as a doorstop. Um, but <laughs> the students that love Dungeons & Dragons or Warhammer, they are carrying them around and they're reading them all the time, back to front, and they know every page, every chapter. It's it's great. And the language, I mean, I'm not an English teacher, but I, I, I think if, a, if an English teacher was to assess the language level that's used in these books, then the words that are used are way above the level of most um, students, so they have to then go and look up dictionaries, see what these words do. So it's building vocabulary, building comprehension. Yeah. And Miss Au would tell you that a few years ago, very few students know this, but there's a very famous D&D &D game designer called Monty Cook. He's kind of right, right up there as like, you know, kind of one of the great designers of the game. And he produced a world called Numenera a few years ago. And he sent out as part of the original core book 300 books to schools around the world and I asked for one and we got one right. and there's one in the school library but I don't think many students realize that it's there and it's like this little hidden gem so oh, if you're listening wow. to this podcast check out the Numenera court rule book that's in the school library that's, that's in case I, I might go and uh, book it out first <laughs> <laughs> if we've gone and we know why yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, gone it's yeah. not available it's got it <laughs> okay um 
And then obviously uh, we've talked already about like the maths. I mean, there's a lot of mental arithmetic and mathematics involved in working out yeah. probabilities to hit. You know, so um, there's all these kind of soft everyday skills are great. Now, tabletop games, we can pretty much say it's awesome. Digital games also have a great benefit for learning. I mean. Um, yeah, Minecraft. We've talked about Minecraft. Uh, I've had in my design class people using Minecraft to create designs because you can yeah. do that. Um, it's also a great way of uh, the, yeah the way that Minecraft works, where you've got to go mining to get things to to get the raw materials. Well, those raw materials are actual materials and materials technology, and it works scientifically. But, you know, you've got to combine. Uh, uh, iron and uh, or sorry you've got to combine iron and uh, carbon from trees put them together you make steel blocks that is GCSE design technology right there um, what else I, I teach computer science um, so again using Minecraft you get to the back end of that you're, you, the students are learning basic coding mm. and you can extend that if you start wanting to mod it I mean I know Sherians was talking about modding Minecraft well you've got to get into the back end and you've got to understand coding to do that and what the students are doing is they're inadvertently teaching themselves coding in order to hack minecraft and then they can use that in real life they don't realize they're they learning coding skills yeah, because yeah. they they're intrinsically motivated to try and figure something out and this is this is exactly what it was like when uh, i was a, a child and i guess you as well when you had those old computers that never quite worked properly and you'd have to go into the back end and sit there and code to make your game yes. work. And it wouldn't work and it because you've missed one letter in yeah. one <laughs> tiny word or whatever it might be. And so I learned the basis of my coding from trying to make computer games work back in the 90s. So, And yeah. the, our yeah, parents would have been zero help. There was no internet. So for our listeners, there was no internet for us to look up. Yep. Um, books were very scarce. And if you picked up a book, it was often thousands of pages thick <laughs> to try. And, so a lot of it was trial and error or, or asking your neighbor who might be doing the sort of same thing. You'd write a page of code from a magazine only to find that it didn't work. Really carefully. Trying it all. There was no yeah. copying and pasting in those days. Does anyone uh, know the frustration of trying to find one missing semicolon? Yes. Yes, Definitely. All right, so just so to establish annoying. here, I think we would all agree there's a pretty strong argument to say that games have a place in education. Yeah? We're all in agreement with that. Um, and I guess that kind of leads us back full circle to you, Shrians, and, and to Andrew. Um, who's supporting Trians with this venture because it was the two of you that proposed to the DLC that we should hold an ESF-wide esports tournament. Um, so I guess for our listeners, now that we've you know got the appetite for this, um, I'd certainly be keen to know more about your thoughts. Well, first of all, why did you propose it? Um, and also to give us a few more details about this initiative, yeah? So originally I proposed it because well, first of all, games in many cases can actually be good for mental health. Like, yeah. for example, they can give you a break from your seemingly endless exams or assignments. And uh, as of as of as we've already mentioned, you get to meet like-minded people. You get to have fun, get into conversations, make friends. And uh, also, all I want basically is for everyone to have fun. I may or may not be looking for cats from this. <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> what about you, Andrew? So, uh, just generally, I think that uh, just uh, the obvious games are fun, and of course they will have a positive effect on mental health for the vast majority of students and people. Yep. It's just a way to escape the world when times are tough, and uh, it's just a way to explore uh, your abilities in the virtual world. So a nice bit of escapism as well. Yeah, a bit, yeah. a bit of escapism, just a moderate amount, which would be beneficial. Well, let's face it, in the in the, the times that we're living, I think that's um, quite understandable, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's also nice to find a sense of community with a bunch of people who may share like the same or similar circumstances as you. So you might find other people who are piling on the pressure, who are uh, working their jobs, who are yeah. uh, avid students studying. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, so taking the fact that you've you've done the proposal now, um, and I know because I've seen it. So, Jay, wh where where is the ESF at with with the proposal at the moment? I mean, sort of take us through. I mean, you've talked already a, a little bit. I think about you know your own thoughts about e you know esports generally, um, but where do we take it from here? What happens next? And and, and give us an update on where that's at. Yeah. So uh, what's happening right now is. Um, 
for all the reasons we've discussed in this podcast, we're super excited about the the idea of an ESF wide uh, esports tournament. Uh, in much the same way you talked about, though, uh, Mr. Williamson, the, the DLC has to support um, coming to the DLC first if you uh, want to run a tournament uh, because the DLC wants to um, be able to you can lean into the DLC for some support as you're running your tournament. I think the same way um, at, I know the people in uh, my office are super excited about it. But we just want to make sure that we're um, we're trying to create an opportunity that can be student driven uh, where the students can have some success. But we also want to make sure we understand the process um, and how we can support students. So some of the things that we're looking at, we've, uh, we've been actually meeting with vendors. Uh, we've identified several potential sites now. We um, are also looking at suitable games, locations, dates, times. And there's also financial implications that we're, we're these are all um, considerations that we have to sort of take right now. Uh, a great many moving parts, but our aim is to ha- try and have something up uh, for the for the spring. And what that looks like at this moment, I think we'll have to have some further discussions on, though. Yes, that's very exciting indeed. Mm. Yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and for our Bohemia students, do you think the plans for an SIS esports tournament and more widely a bigger ESF esports championship would be exciting for younger students? Yeah, because most younger students will play video games in the space at break time, so it would appeal to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I also agree with Nathaniel, but maybe we can make the games physical, like physical and also educational. Like there's some games that instead of Kahoot, there's another version, which Nathaniel and I are both like, it's called Blook It. And we find it more fun because there are more game modes. Yeah, and yeah. we played it, yeah. haven't we? Yeah, I've heard yeah. that from a lot of students. I mean, personally, my brother as well, um, him and his friends like sit and play Blook It a lot at lunch times. Um, so I think that's definitely a game that does appeal to younger students. So you heard it here first. Kahoot is now very 2019. <laughs> Look, it is 2023. Um, we always like to finish each episode. I'm just looking at the time. Wow, this is nearly an hour long episode. I thought this would be like half an hour. Um, so we, we like to finish each episode with a question for each of you, okay? So you all have 30 seconds each to answer, or less, if you can do it. Just to let you know, our producer, Jasmine, She works under very strict working conditions in the Slytherin dungeon underneath South Island School, (laughs) and she will cut you off after 30 seconds, okay? She doesn't have much of a sense of humor, bless. So, for the ESF eSports tournament, which game would you pick and why? And remember, if you can, tell us the Peggy rating to show that you were listening earlier on. So, Mr. Oliver, do you want to start us off? Well, I was going to say Mario Kart 8 because it has a uh, Peggy rating of 3 and it's great fun. But then I realized that it doesn't fulfill the criteria because uh, it's on Switch. So, um, <laughs> I think for a bit of gaming history, uh, Pac-Man. Ooh. Or maybe even Munchman if, uh, Munchman if Mr. Oliver can get it going. But it is on one device and one rather aged device at that. Um, Shriant? I'd say either Smash Bros or Minecraft, but would have to look into the inclusivity as well. Okay, and that's a Peggy 12 and a Peggy 7, as researched by uh, Mr. Gadness over there. Andrew? I definitely uh, Minecraft Peggy 7. It's just, uh, it's incredibly prevalent within the school community. And uh, even though it's paid, uh, just so many students have it that it's definitely worth giving it a shot. I should point out, by the way, the ESF did have a Mi- Minecraft tournament about yes. four or five years ago. So our yeah, very I, own I Thomas Hafner. when I was in year seven. Were you in that as yeah, well? Yeah, I was there. It's, I just didn't have an account. I was on iPad. Oh, the line. So, I didn't realize that <laughs> until today. I had Minecraft and they were playing on PC. So. Oh, you see, lack yeah. of inclusivity there then. That's okay. true. But, but now I have Minecraft. Well, it was fabulous. And yeah. uh, South Island took one of the prizes that day. Um, and I can remember because I was there, I was overseeing it, and I was very, very proud. So. That is the kind of thing that you could see taking off. We tried that as part of the South Island School Esports, but we really struggled with firewall issues, um, which caused all sorts of problems with the servers for it. Yep, absolutely. So Smash was much more successful, I have to say. Um, What about our two year eights? Cameron, what Um, would you go for? I'll go for Roblox because it's 
it's free because you don't need to download. You you just download it, mm -hmm. but in Minecraft you have to pay. Um, and some parents will not be willing to pay it. That's right. Roblox, it's very inclusive because anybody can download it, and a lot of people already play some very popular games online. What about you, Nathaniel? Are you in agreement? Yeah, I also agree with Cameron for Roblox because you don't really need to pay a lot. Mm -hmm. And also, the school can just make their own games using a programming language called Luau, L-U-A-U. Did Andrew create that one? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm just, you can use like a, an, a no, I'm just pointing at him because he codes in Lua. I'm just pointing at him because he codes in Lua. Ah, okay then. I made a Wait, bit of things. This, this is all quite intriguing, like, isn't it? Quite interesting. Um, sorry, I realise, Jay, I didn't ask you. Would, would you suggest any particular game here? Well, I... Minecraft is probably the, the one go-to that I see across the foundation, but now that uh, when you guys bring up Tetris, that I have to say that sort of like sort of piqued my interest. Like, oh, is that is that a possibility? Somehow, can we um, turn that into a, a, a tournament too? So that's one of the things I'll be taking back to my office and looking into the possibility of that as well. ESFY D and D. Now that would be cool. Uh, I could get behind that. That would, be that, that would just be incredible. <laughs> That's just about all we have time for today. So I'd like to thank our excellent guests, Mr. Oliver, Jay Prohaska, Shriyans, Andrew, Cameron, and Nathaniel. Uh, we will be back soon with episode 19, which is going to be the first in season four. And the focus is going to be Internet Safety Week, which is coming up very, very soon. What would you like to discuss? If you have any ideas, questions, or feedback, then please write to digileaders at webmail.sis.edu.hk. That's D-I-G-I. -I. And don't forget to rate or like the show on Spotify, YouTube, or wherever possible. As always, thanks for joining us. <laughs>